Hello and welcome to Nothing But The Poem. My name's Sam Tung and I'm the project manager at the Scottish Poetry Library. We've been running these monthly podcasts as they come out of our discussions in a session called Nothing But The Poem, which is available for all friends of the library. So if you enjoy what you hear, then please consider joining as a friend. The way in which these Nothing But The Poem sessions work is that I select poets' uh, work, three or four poems from that poet's oeuvre, and then we simply discuss them together, read and discuss them together. It's a really interesting process because when you read a poem aloud and then discuss your interpretation with others, um, you can start to build a story of your own interpretation and it becomes a kind of communal uh, process of building up that interpretation. And it's a very enjoyable process. There's often surprises as to what other people have got from a poem. This last session that we covered was Roddy Lumsden's poetry. Again, it was only three poems that we managed to fit into our hour But I wanted to look at Roddy's poetry, particularly because of my own ignorance. And I think it's always good to admit your own ignorance of a poet's work. Um, And I've only fairly recently come across Roddy's work through a kind of triangulation of different things. You know, when you start to see names mentioned and they're mentioned in lots of different places and spaces and you think, right, that's a poet I need to get to know. I just finished his collection, So Glad I'm Me, and I was blown away by the kind of technical mastery and the enjoyment of language, the word choice, but there was so much heart in all of the poems as well. Uh, Humour, cynicism, the whole gamut of human experience in there. Roddy Lumsden himself died in 2020, but has had a huge influence over a whole generation of poets. And partly one of the places I kept seeing his name pop up was in the acknowledgements of so many contemporary poets that I enjoy. Uh, Yeah, you'll probably see it yourself. If next time you're flicking through a book, look through to the acknowledgements and you'll probably see Roddy's name in there as mentor or influence or um, celebrator of that person's poetry. So we've got three poems that I wanted to look at today and you can get a sense of some of the discussion that we had in our in our group session. So I'll just give you a kind of overview of some of the questions that came up, some of the ideas that came up, uh, and then you'll get a sense of what a nothing but the poem session can be. The first poem that we looked at was a poem called What Love Cannot Do. And I'll read it in its entirety, just so you can get the rhythm, get the images and get the structure of the poem from my reading. What love cannot do. It cannot save my friend from seeing what a window showed him one night. It was Christmas. Can't slow the wave that borrowed Noel, Nelly beneath the wheel, the bad seed in Ruth's little breast, girls when they fall. Won't castigate the squeeze who plumps for greedy sex behind your back. Our families picked off like tin ducks, the daft bear galloping from side to side to side. My rock thuds down again on the sick gull's head. My rock. Six kitties hanging from a rowan branch, and no, you will not catch it counselling a flint, 
a flinch, the jailer's giggling stun gun, wire in my belly. Love lugs and struggles upstream, love is only holy. It does not suckle, wears no fur, will leave no prints. Quit bolstering it, honey, here's my evidence. When meat rains, when meat rains from the sky, accept it. Love will not be hovering nearby. You might have got a sense there from listening to the poem, it's actually one sentence. It's four stanzas of four lines each, and it's still, it's the only punctuation is a semicolon here, or, here and there, a comma, but it's actually one sentence. And the group felt when we were reading this, it's obviously almost um, breathless in the sense of how many images build on one another and kind of come tumbling through. And we got a sense that the way in which it was structured was a kind of riposte or a response to somebody. It felt like um, an argument against um, some kind of transcendental idea of what love is, what love can do. Obviously, the title of this is What Love Cannot Do. And the poet's voice and the poet's theme is to set out the evidence. Quit bolstering it, honey. Here's my evidence of what love cannot do. So partly what came through was this focus on negatives. Um, yeah, it cannot save my friend. It can't slow the wave. It cannot do this. You will not catch it cancelling a flint. And that kind of verve and um, emphasis in the argument really struck us as a group. But what this kind of focus on the negatives can do is almost make it into a via negativa, a kind of argument that love is this kind of transcendent thing that exists elsewhere. So you can almost only say what it is not. And we were really struck by the line in the third stanza, the phrase where the poet chooses to say that love is only holy. And we circled around this phrase quite a bit because the word choice is really interesting there. Love is only holy makes it sound as though love is merely holy. This holiness of love seems to be um, a negative. It seems to be something that constrains love. It's merely holy. It's only holy. And this fitted into um, our sense that in this poem, love is actually much more um, non-transcendent, much more material and much more grounded in its kind of negatives of what love cannot do. One of the other elements that struck our, our listeners and our readers was this idea of the rock, the rock, my rock thuds down again on the sick gull's head, my rock. And there's an emphasis in the poem, if you can, if you see it on the page, that's that my rock is in italics, real heavy emphasis, literally on the rock. And as we discussed this, we, we worked out an idea that perhaps this is where the, the voice in the poem is emphasizing their own agency, their own personal experience in this kind of horror of what love cannot do and that what its absence results in, which is my rock, my rock, thudding down on the sick gull's head. It's quite a dark image, of course, and a very um, powerful image, but that felt like there was a real sense of the, the poet's voice coming in at that point. We also liked the, the kind of breaking down of the, of the fourth wall when the poet, poet's voice again responded directly to this person, that there's a person there named as Honey, 
quit bolstering it, honey. Here's my evidence. And this was the very kind of real conversational um, element where the, the voice of the poet, uh, the voice of the I in this poem is really responding to and trying to um, lay out their evidence as to why transcendental love is not um, a useful concept and just doesn't fit the bill, what love cannot do. So lots to discuss in that poem. Um, one of the other things that interestingly came up was I shared the poem from Poetry Magazine, but it's a little bit different in print and I won't go into it here per se, but what's quite interesting if you have the time and the inclination is to often look at a poet's work when it's first published in a magazine or in a journal and then look at its final form when it's published in their collection. I say final form, a poem is obviously never finished, it's only abandoned, but it's a useful process in seeing um, how poets have chosen to select words and then change words and then um, that can really affect the interpretation. So if you're so inclined uh, and you have your favorite poems and your favorite poet, have a look at the, how that same poem is published in an earlier form. It often opens up interesting angles of interpretation. So the next poem that we looked at was perhaps similar similar theme um, in that it kind of took this kind of via negativa form again where it's kind of thinking about one thing by saying it through another way, another angle. And this poem's called The Beautiful. And I'll read it first and you can hear it and make up your first, your interpretations as you first hear it and see which bits strike you as, as I read it. The Beautiful. Into perplexity. As an itch chased round an oxter or early man in the cave mouth, watching raindrifts pour from beyond his understanding. Whether to admire the mere sensation enough or hold out for sweeter ornament, vessels of wonder born with that ur-charm of symmetry. Lovely ones, we ache to prize and praise, climb into and become because they try our day-by-day -day significance. Some of us ugly and most of us plain, Walked past in the drowned streets, pearls of paste, salted butter, secondary colours. They drift, unapproached, gazed never-selves, blunt paragons of genetic industry. We desire them, but cannot want such order. We stand, mouths open, and cannot help stammering our secrets, nailed to water. The group was struck by um, the ideas that were kind of explored here about what and who the beautiful might be. There's almost an otherness to this clan or, or, or race almost of the beautiful, the lovely ones that we ache to prize and praise. And there was a kind of, in the poem itself and in the, in the interpretation that we built around it, a kind of primitive reaction to this perplexity of beauty or that ur-charm of symmetry. We questioned what ur-charm of symmetry meant 
and that sense that Ur charm is the almost original, the origin of of beauty, this charm of symmetry, and how the poet kind of plays with different tones. You've got this epic sense of um, primitive man standing in the cave, this Ur, faced with this Ur charm of symmetry, and then just day by day, the kind of that some of us ugly, most of us plain, walked past in the drowned streets, and we felt that that. Um, shift in tone and shift in register and shift in reach really worked um, within the confines of the this fairly short poem it manages to bring in so much and um, reference and reference so much as well and the question remains who are these lovely ones these they seem to be gazed never selves are the beautiful constructs? Are they blunt paragons of genetic industry, as the poet writes? How are they, how do we know who they are and how do we get access to the beautiful? Or is the beautiful, to sound trite, is it in the eye of the beholder? Or is it just a kind of social and uh, social construct? And a lot of what comes through in this poem we felt was desire, this desire, this ache to prize and praise. And perhaps it's the desire that creates beauty. There was more to say around that one, of course, um, but I don't want to empty it out of its meaning. You can listen again and um, build your own interpretation of that one. But we did feel that it was kind of um, a kind of example again of, of Lumsden's ability to shift tone and shift reference, but also to make the everyday a, a scene of a place to write and a place to to invoke writing and invoke others. The last poem was slightly different and I put this one in just to enjoy language, enjoy the poet's word choice, enjoy their references and it was really kind of a poem that I wanted to, to showcase as a, I'm not going to use the word perfection. Um, I don't think there's a perfect poem, but it just really demonstrates Lumsden's incredible uh, musicality, their te his technique, the rhythms and the, mu and the word choice that kind of the selection process that goes into creating a, Lum a, Rum a Lumsden poem. Um, and also plenty of humour, plenty of humour, and a little bit of and a dose of cynicism as well, which is what I quite like in a in a modern poem. So this one's called Turning Into Grizzly Street. That's what I'm like, like someone whistling Yellowbird or Yankee Doodle, stomping home beneath the northern lights are shining. Here's Roddy, fifteen below and no hat with me, bald as gulls' eggs, yules and telly, my tummy full and all the trimmings. Reese's cups and crab meat chowder, Arctic red, like someone crooning a case of you, or Chelsea morning by Joni, who was born Roberta. Oh, Canada, how cold, how dry, you make of me Orion sculled, the guest star in a winter drama, the brown king on the second camel, and never a word is dithered or dull. What am I like? Unhinged, unsteady up Caribou Street, 
onto Grizzly, my big feet sinking down through powder, the gardens jaunting below their blankets all white and crispy. I've gone troppo, let's make that frosto, log cabin fever. Tunnel Mountain hovers neatly, the air runs so thin I get jealous. As scabby cougars, scrawny coyotes circle the township, hot springs bubble in electric shock and nosebleed city. If it ain't beef, it ain't Alberta. Are those the songs of Cassin's Auklet, Tundra Swan and Purple Martin? That's what I'm like, like a lone elk nosing for fronds in the top freeze, a nutcracker squat on a creaking lodgepole. Stars fizz for me, the man in the moon hawks out a comet, night gets giggles and the world tastes funny. In a way, I don't really want to say too much about the poem because it's such a wonderful piece of music. But one of the main things that came up for us as a group was the position of the the, the poet or the, um, the eye in the poem as just really enjoying being a stranger, being in a um, different place in a, and recording that, but making something of that um, otherness that that sense of being a stranger in um, in a foreign city and we questioned whether you would need to get all of the references quite a lot of Lumsden's work references music and artists and everyday things and some of these pieces in here that some of the words that are used here are obviously um, from adverts and there's kind of corporate messages in there and it does feel like you're walking around a city walking around um alberta and really getting at yeah getting a sense of the the otherness of it but do you need to understand all the references we we kind of decided that you don't need to get everything uh, especially on its first read especially and also especially because the poet you trust the poet to have chosen these words and chosen these phrasings to create the rhythm and the meter and the structure of the poem. So throughout, through the poem, you just trust that the word was the right choice at the right time. We did have to Google Cassin's auklet, which is a small bird, a small auk. And we were struck by the idea that actually when it's in flight, it looks like a flying tennis ball. And we thought that that's probably exactly why Roddy chose the chose the image and chose the the bird because of its kind of for its comedy value in a sense and that's why we just really enjoyed this poem in particular as one to end on and as i say it does it contain all of the kind of toolkit of um roddy's poetry more generally it's a wonderful poem so that just gives you a sense of how a nothing but the poem group works and some of the discussion points that came up. What we do when we do a Nothing But The Poem, as I said at the, at the top of this, is that we read them together and we discuss our interpretations and our first reactions to them. And there's no wrong answers. We build them together and we check, check in on each other um, and see what happens if um, we don't understand. And I think that's an important um, starting point as well. So that was three of Roddy Lumsden's poems. Uh, and some of the discussions around them. And 
what I think you should also keep a, an ear out and an eye out. We're going to do um, a special one-off, nothing but the poem, for LGBTQ History Month soon. And that's going to be open. That's going to be open to everybody. Um, you don't have to be a friend of the Poetry Library, but it will give you a chance to see what happens in a nothing but the poem session. And you can enjoy your discussions together on that. But all that remains for me to say just now is thank you very much for listening and do come and borrow all of Roddy Lumsden's collections from the SPL when you're next in Edinburgh. We can also post them out, so there's no excuse. Okay, goodbye for now. Thank you.